Welcome, guys. This is the Atomic Pod. I'm David. This is Vinay. And this week, we're going to be talking about the newest updates in AI. So we're going to be discussing AI's impact on business productivity in the job market, uh, ChatGPT and other, other tools, how it's going to impact education, as well as further implications of what's being done to, the, to these large language models, how the output can be corrupted, and exploring uh, the impact that could have. Before we get started, uh, Vinay, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, some of the inspiration that you've had, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the inspiration for me. Sure. So, hi guys, I'm Vinay. This is the first time we are being uh, presented in a digital format. Uh, don't take us very seriously. We are just two friends trying to blabber about tech, trying to understand how to navigate our way through the ever-changing tech ecosystem. Um, so, I run an AI services company where I deal with uh, AI problems day in and out. Uh, it's called Atomic Loops and we have our clients across the world. Uh, generally, a trend that I've observed is that people tend to misrepresent AI problems and really they put AI label for anything. So I just want to uh, have a chat with my friend and hopefully we can put uh, shine some light on what is happening, maybe understand if something is actually a really significant thing or something is just marketing gimmick, something is just marketing buzz. So the whole point is let's just uh, have an open conversation. Let's uh, try to analyze where the tech world is headed and hopefully people enjoy listening to us. Absolutely. I think you said it, said it perfectly. It's the, uh, you know, the joke in the VC market right now is if, if you just say anything AI, you, you can, you know, you can raise money. And I think that that's, you know, as excited as we both are about AI, it's, you know, I, th I think we both kind of feel a little bit of a responsibility to help people try to understand what's really happening, who it's, when it's so easy to get caught up in the marketing hype that, you know, companies are putting out these stories. Um, so, uh, you know, anyway, thank you, Vinay, for, for doing this with me. I'm really excited to get started. Let's, let's get it's right into it. It's a pleasure. And so rightly summarized, see, this is the reason why you're seeing both of us together. Uh, so David very rightly summarizes, uh, especially this discussion where he talks about how AI is affecting a lot of lives. Uh, of course, to begin with, the focus of this podcast is going to be AI. But over time, we want to get into all things science, like AI, tech. We don't care if it's AI or non-AI. If it's solving a big problem, we love it. Then after a point, even if it's tech or not, if it if we have Elon Musk who is blasting rockets in space, I would love to have him. So anything science, anything that is helping humanity, we are all in. Absolutely, that's what that's what we're all about here on the Atomic Pod. Super. So, <laughs> all right. Now moving on to our very first uh, section where we uh, talk about a few latest happenings in tech. And both of us just try to understand where these things are headed uh, in terms of uh, having a discussion on the latest news, in terms of trying to see if we can correlate it with some other happenings uh, down the line. So let's see. Uh, the first latest happening in tech is that hyperscalers will see huge boost from AI productivity tools. What's your take? Well, so first... For, you know, just for, for listeners, will you, will you break down what is, when you say a hyperscaler, what do you mean by that? 
So when I mean hyperscalers, essentially that's a DevOps terms, uh, term for developers. So anything that can scale in a hyper fashion, it's really in the name. So that is a hyperscaler. So you have systems that replicate itself. So for example, you have the Super Bowl going live tonight and it's just hosted on one server. Suddenly you have a few million people who want to view the live stream. That's a big amount of data throughput. So then what happens is there are hyperscalers in place that make different copies of this server located all across the geographical region. And then anyone requests, okay, I want to see a live stream, then it is catered to them by a server. Right. So I, you know, I, I would tend to agree that anything where any kind of a, a company who's, you know, their data operations are something like streaming or like you said, where you where you have massive upticks in traffic, uh, you know, predicted, not predicted, uh, they have to be able to adapt to that. And I think you're I think you're right in saying that these are some of the uh, some of the some of the companies that will see the most impact like right out of the gate. I think that's going to be really exciting. Um, but again, uh, see, I hear what you say, uh, but still, I think we are too early in this to have AI on top of hyperscalers. Because okay. see, having a good hyperscaler versus a bad hyperscaler results in thousands of dollars in cloud costs. So see, the problem is if you look at distributed attacks where people just try to simulate that, okay, there are a few million people across a country just trying to hit this server again and again. Mm -hmm. This might even be a problem because see, if you have data being backed uh, by false requests, then essentially that data is a false truth. Now, if you have a false truth, based on that, you have a poorly trained AI model. Based on that, just for, let's say, 10 users, you might have 500 servers. And then the company, like whoever is the host of those servers, whoever is the owner of those servers, pays mm -hmm. a big price. So right. I don't know. I just think we are too early right now for AI to get into hyperscalers. Of course, I get the premise that if you have a good predictive AI models, you can predict the demand long before it hits your servers. So essentially that can reduce their wait time, but it's a double-edged sword. I, okay, so I think I, I see what you're saying that it's, it's, it's exciting to think of how it will be impactful, but maybe at least in, this, in the near term, it's it's more of a it's more of a well it's more of a scale issue like you know you still have to have the developer who is writing that logic to okay we're going to predict this and actually having that um, that you know machine learning really integrated into the hyperscaler might be a little bit more uh, difficult than and uh, technically involved than I initially thought I think I, guess, I see your point um, should we move on what's the, what's the, what's your next one. Sure. So the next one is, see, there is an app called GPT-0 and this app is working towards detecting content written by AI. Now this is, again, I'm just opening a can of worms. So mm -hmm. my opinion is detecting content written by AI is very difficult. Yes. And again, it all depends on how you do it. Because see, the whole point is, if you look at the typical, see, generally this is like a thief versus a police case. like. Okay, you have folks being very smart in hacking AI models. Then you have uh, the counter side, which is actually being very uh, specialized, who is building expertise in catching those thieves. The whole point with this game 
is that AI is a probabilistic system. So the possibility of putting a wrong, classifying a wrong person, let's say a wrong article or a wrong piece of content as AI generated, or the, the, the number of false positives and the positive negatives are very, very high. So if you look at this, it's a big problem because again, in a probabilistic system, if you're trying to give a binary output, I don't know how that's going to shape up. What do you think? Right. I mean, it's going to be wrong sometimes, right? I think it was, um, I'm not sure if it was Alt, uh, Sam Altman uh, and OpenAI, but there was a group uh, I was reading about, they, they, it might, it might be GPT zero um, if that's, if it's OpenAI's product, but they were, where they were doing this research and they had, you know, I think it was like 10 to 15, I'll have to check the actual number, um, whatever they're, they're correctly, um, they were able to co correctly identify content that was written, that was generated by uh, large language models. And it was their, it, the percentage was abysmal. I mean, it was not, they were, they, basically they, their conclusion was like, it's too hard, we're not able to do it. And they shut down the project. Yes. I'm not sure, if, I'm not sure if this is, this is the same. Okay. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think we're we're in trouble in terms of how we're actually going to be able to mitigate, you know, detect and and prevent uh, fictitious content from being from being you know disseminated throughout the web. I think there was a uh, New York Times article where it was right after uh, Bing had integrated uh, the I think it was OpenAI into their uh, into their search. And uh, there was a New York Times reporter who I, I have to I have to think that this guy was talking to somebody on OpenAI's development team because they they told him, hey, if you want to if you want to see some, or you, you want to, you know, hear some some real something really crazy, ask it about the idea of Carl Jung's shadow self. OK, so they go into which is basically, uh, you know, the whole concept in psychology. It's like, you know, your, you know, darkest inner thoughts. Right. So for the the AI model clearly had already read enough young to understand this concept and when pressed on it really <laughs> really gets into some uh kind of scary output where it's saying okay well you know what would you do like you know if, if you were to let your uh, the, the 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 reporter basically asked the uh, the AI, AI model uh what would you do you know if you were to let your shadow self run rampant and one of the first things it says is I would create fictitious content and uploaded to databases and nobody would ever know. Exactly. So the impact that something like that can have on the scientific community, I think cannot be uh, stressed enough about how dangerous that is. If you think about you're doing research and you're pulling up articles that you think are totally legitimate and you're, you're basing you know, your argument and your, and your research on it, it could be totally, totally bunk and, we, and you would just have no idea. The, the ability of the AI models to generate high quality content that not only sounds realistic, but is, is, you know, they can go back, you know, generate a list of, um, uh, like, a, your citations for the bibliography, a hundred papers that are exactly. all, all, all completely <laughs> fictitiously generated. I don't know if and it becomes very difficult. We, we, we have some actual cases filed in, I think this is a civil court in California. There have, there have been actual cases where AI has written content and actually given citations that are not present, oh my which God. actually led to the cancellation of the bar license of that attorney. So wow. It is crazy. And, and it, to me, there's no, there's no immediate solution in sight. It's one of those things. It's like, well, 
the really the solution is is prevention and that cat is very much out of the bag already so we're yes. gonna we're gonna have a hard time getting it back in that's true and see especially with tools like these once you have a tool that can help you detect if something is uh, once you have something that gives you a binary output it's very easy for people to mistake the output and then get it into a regulatory framework what if tomorrow the output of this tool starts coming in as legal evidence that okay if this tool says this is ai generated then you're screwed so again that's a whole different game because once you have the advent of such tools then you would also have people rushing to get a regulatory framework around it which might not work right you know we, we know if you look at at least at least in the united states you look at the average age of regulators of, of people who are in congress who are <laughs> trying to understand <laughs> this technology so that they can yeah. make rules around it for you know how the u.s economy is supposed to be run i mean it's terrible there you know i i i i love this moment i think i don't i think it was zuckerberg was being um interviewed by congress and they're like they're like so so what you're saying is, you know, people pay you money, you know, to 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 advertise their they're like, so so how do how do you how do you actually like create revenue? And he's like, uh, we sell ad space. This is how the internet works. And just the total disconnect of just just no understanding of like what the actual <laughs> online economy is and how it functions. Just just totally, totally mind blowing. And I think that was such a uh, crystallizing example where I'm just I'm just listening to the, to these people ask you know, ask Zuckerberg or, or any of the, you know, tech leaders, ask them questions. They don't know, they don't know what to ask. They don't, they, they are so far from away from understanding this technology. I think the, the, you know, the notion of, uh, like stringent regulation anytime soon that is going to be a safe, keep AI safe and effective. I think that's, that's a tall order and we'll, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably in for a rough ride. Okay. So see, just a segue on the same topic, it uh, goes to our next uh, news item. So, see, Singapore is not looking to regulate AI. So what do you think? In a, in a <laughs> world where all countries are rushing to have a regulatory framework around AI, try to figure out some rules, try to figure out a judiciary framework around AI, Singapore is taking an opposite stance. So what do you think? I mean, it's just, it's classic. It's like so contrarian. Singapore just says, oh, well, they're trying to attract business, right? It's like, how do you, how do you recruit talent? How do you keep people? Um, you know, it's all about the the story. And so the story that they're, they like to put forward is we're so innovative. We're not going to hold anybody back. If you want to come work in AI, come to Singapore. We won't, we won't hold you back at all. Go nuts, you know, just, <laughs> and that's, which is, you know, that's great for, for rapid progress. But I think, you know, clearly there, there are safety concerns that, <laughs> Uh, they they have said are not high enough priority to uh, to be put ahead of you know them trying to uh, draw tech companies to move to put their AI operations in Singapore. That's what they want. They want and and there's there's there could be reasons for that. You know, it could be just just that they're trying to you know create trying to boost GDP, trying to trying to get businesses to move to Singapore. It also could have another layer of like nefariousness to it. Like okay, well. If you're here working on AI on servers that are all running through Singaporean fiber, I mean, you know, how much of what internet traffic and and et cetera is being monitored by, uh, you know, governmental resources and and their uh, 
kind of cyber force. I'm not, I'm not sure what the, um, the national security, um, organization is, I forget what it's called for Singapore, but they're, they're equivalent of like, uh, the American NSA, you know, there's, there's yeah. definitely an element of that to it too, where it's like, yeah, come work on your AI, come do it, come do it in our country on our server so we can keep tabs on things. I think there's probably a level of that to it as well, but. <laughs> See, I hear you. Uh, but again, um, I think it's again too early to have a concrete answer on these points. Mm -hmm. I don't know, because sometimes not regulating crypto till it was at a certain stage was actually beneficial for those countries. Of course, after some time, everyone has to regulate tech. There is no doubt on it, but maybe we are early in the adoption curve. Who knows? So it, it's just interesting to see how this might pan out with Singapore. Uh, I don't know as a business owner, I would love to have regulatory clarity in any country. Okay. What mm -hmm. I'm doing has a legal standing or not. I would love to have this regulatory clarity, but again, we'll just have to give it some time and see how this pans out. Absolutely. And they didn't say okay. that they're never going to regulate it. Sorry. One more thing on this is that they, you sure. know, they, it's, it, it's not, they haven't said, Oh, we promised we're never going to re regulate it. So even if you were excited about this and you moved your business to Singapore, you, there's no promise that in a couple of years, you're not going to say, ah, well, we're going to clamp down. And then, you know, then you've just moved your <laughs> business across the borders. And, you know, so it, it's, it, it's an interesting take for them to, um, you know, they're definitely, you know, wanted, wanted to be different say, well, okay, well, we're, we're forward thinking, but, I agree. I think we, we need to wait and see what the like overall impact is going to be. Superb. So, all right. The next one is AI is making some common side hustles way more lucrative than they were before. For instance, we have travel agents, we have content assistants, we have copywriters. So these side hustles are now being way more lucrative. Uh, my opinion on this is folks are still getting paid the same, let's say, if it's about uh, travel agent. So the commission behind a certain uh, travel itinerary that is planned is still the same. Maybe it has also gone down, but with AI, the productivity has increased to such a level that maybe let's say in one hour equivalent of work, if these guys were able to do plan two such trips right now, they can plan five or even 10. So right. I think the price per trip has stayed the same or per gig has stayed the same or even gone down because right. of increased competition, mm -hmm. but because of the sheer number of tasks that you can accomplish because of AI, because of advent of new content generation tools, I think that's just crazy. Absolutely. I would, I would agree a hundred percent. And you, you hit the nail right on the head, which is that it's a it's a little bit misleading to say okay the ai is making your side hustle more lucrative well the side hustle is the is as lucrative as it was before the ai what yes. the difference is your individual potential for productivity using these tools absolutely you're able to to do more content generate more you know more deliverables at scale that will help you make more money but it's it's misleading because it sounds like each individual unit of work is worth more. That's not, it's, it's not changed the, you know, the actual uh, value in the marketplace and the, and, and the price of things. It's, it's really more about potentiating, you know, your ability to, to generate a lot of work very quickly. And so, you know, it's like people who are, are trying to start a side hustle and use a, use a, you know, a chat GPT to, to generate their, 
their emails for them. They say, okay, I sent, I sent my email and I'm done. It's like, no, you're not going to make more money just because you, you use ChatGPT to do that. You actually, now you have to do it a hundred thousand more times. And then, and then you'll, you'll see, okay, I'm, I'm making way more money because I, because <laughs> I'm doing more work. So you're just able to do it uh, yeah. faster. No, but see, again, I want to take a contrary view here. Uh, it's like a typical cycle of hype versus buzz where let's say, see, if you look at the age of cars, see before the advent of Ford, where every car was handmade. Okay. You had a certain price every for, uh, for a car. Once you put these cars on an assembly line, you made a super, uh, profitable company. Again, that was not by making expensive cars that was making a lot of cars in a unit amount of time. Absolutely. But now fast forward to, let's say 50, 60 years from there. Again, if you look at the Lamborghinis of the world, the Rolls Royces of the world, we have a car selling for 47 million bucks, the Rolls Royce boat tail. Exactly. That is a purely <laughs> handmade car. So again, this is a cycle where we get into. So right now, okay, AI is increasing the productivity of these folks. So over time, we'll have such a flood of gig workers, of folks who want to get into these jobs. So mm -hmm. over time, again, the demand for someone who is not using AI, okay, I want you to think like a human, don't use any AI, take your time, write this, write this article, maybe put in your natural element into it. I think that would also come up over time. So I, I guess right. it's just a cycle. I, I agree. And that, that's an interesting take is it's like, okay, you know, people will, it, it will become more standard for tools like ChatGPT to be used to generate the content. It you know, and it becomes this almost like a quality quantity uh, argument, like, okay, we can use these tools to generate lots and lots of content very, very quickly. But is the quality at, at par with, um, you know, it, if you had hired, you know, one person, a writer to, you know, take weeks, months preparing really, really, uh, you know, spend a lot of time and a lot of man hours crafting whatever, whatever content that, that they're writing. I think I think you're right. It's, we're gonna see this like boutique-y, uh, like de um, uh, desire for for human generated content that is that really has that personal touch. And it's gonna be interesting to see how the quality of the output of these systems is able to, you know, be uh, keep increasing increasing into the and kind of blur the line of being able to tell the difference. And that's 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 where it's like okay. You're gonna have people, <laughs> freelancers, who are just like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll write it by hand." But the AI output will be so good that it'll, you know, we're that we're already seeing, uh, like we we discussed a few minutes ago, uh, yeah. the the uh, AI generation uh, or con AI generated content uh, detectors is, <laughs> are are not quite uh, able to able to perform, um, you know, dependably. So. <laughs> It's a mess. I, I, I we'll know. see. We'll see what happens with all Yeah, that. actually, that goes very well hand in hand, right? So, like AI, uh, like folks who are trying to perform gigs using AI versus detectivity tools that can okay understand if okay this is AI driven. Maybe that might have a converse correlation between one another, but again, we'll have to see where things lead us. All right. So see, next up, uh, we have one more point where it's pointed out that AI tools could actually leave companies liable for anti-bias mishaps, missteps. So again, I have some point, some 
I have a contrary side here where, okay, generally, again, uh, there is a regulatory framework. There is a lot of uh, population demand coming out from, uh, uh, let's say, large ecosystems where AI has to be moderated and AI needs to have anti-bias inside of it. But again, I don't see how this is going to uh, get into place in a probabilistic system. If you look at AI, it's only as good as the data that is being fed into it. So again, I don't want to get into uh, the actual use case over here or the actual reason why this whole point was triggered. Uh, but see, the whole point is if you have two countries, country A and country B, country B uh, makes products that are of a significantly higher quality versus country A. So now if you train a machine learning model on this data point, it is going to naturally have a bias towards country B being, uh, let's say, higher in terms of their industries, being higher in terms of what they produce. So on this line, I again think that we are too early in order to you know, even call out for anti-bias uh, steps here. And we don't really have a clear path on how this will be implemented technically in the production systems of these companies. So right. I don't know, this is again something that is uh, that is something that we have to park for later because only time is going to give a clear uh, idea on what can be done by companies here maybe it's a it's a two step process where you start by having inclusive data points you start by having an all uh, encompassing data set and then that is the only thing which you use to train the models so i don't know but again the question of this balanced data set being the real data set is a whole different game. I agree. What do you think? I, th I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, it's, it's another really, really difficult problem that it's, it, it does feel, just feel like it's too early in the game. You know, they're, especially if they are setting up this regulatory body and they're going to say, okay, you know, we're going to hold companies accountable for, um, you know, for not, for um, not being able to police bias in their models enough. And, you know, if you think technically, like what that looks like, it's going to be difficult. They're, you know, it, it's it's really hard for me to even imagine. I'm like, okay, so think about like what they're doing in their code base. Like, how are they even going to get in there? I mean, it's almost like they're going to have to go like item by item and say, you know, oh, it, it said something it shouldn't have again. Maybe we'll, we'll define this like individual use case. Never, ever say that on a case by case basis, that's not an efficient way to write program. I mean, <laughs> it's, that's, that's not, that, that, that's not going to scale. That's not going to, that's not going to work. And there, there are obviously going to be things that are going to slip through the cracks because of uh, the nature of the, uh, of generative AI. So it's, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be a rough ride and there will definitely be, you know, I don't know if it'll be, you know, maybe it's on the, on the front of like diversity, equity, inclusion, like they're going to, you know, the model's going to say something, Somebody's going to get offended. They're going to sue. It's going to be a big deal. And we're going to see stuff like that happen. Exactly. It's, it's a matter of time. Yes. So, all right. Uh, I think that's it for tech. Uh, so let's move on to the next section where we have fizz versus fuzz, guys. So, see, this is uh, an interesting take where we try to look at various news headlines or various recent happenings in tech. By looking at the recent happenings, we try to classify it as either fizz or fuzz. Now, both of us can have contrary views. We don't really have to agree with each other. But when you look at fizz, it is something that actually makes a material difference 
it is something that by the definition fizz is something that is physically natural uh, versus fuzz which is just uh, bubbles uh, you know above your drink so it's something that is not <laughs> present and doesn't make a lot of sense but still you can see okay it makes a visual appeal but at the end of the day it's not where the meat lies absolutely so, cool the first headline in fizz versus fuzz is again this is very close to my heart so most outsourced coders in india will be gone in two years due to ai aha uh-huh. that's a very interesting so thing what do you think ai i mean <laughs> i would say that is a that is a grotesquely exaggerated statement i will believe it when i see it two years is not a very long time you know copilot these tools that are 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 helping you write code they're getting really good they're getting really really good they're getting frustratingly good for developers but at the same time i think that you know the ability for companies to even use technology like this at scale is just it's just going to be a little bit more of a learning curve i would say 2 years is a, is is a is way way more accelerated than i would expect to see i mean <laughs> That's a pretty, that's a pretty, uh, pretty out there statement. But uh, from Stability AI, I, I, I will, I will, I will call that one fuzz, uh, in my opinion. What about you? <laughs> All right. So, I have a different take. Where, okay, I agree to a certain extent. A lot of jobs will be lost because mm-hmm. when you look at jobs that are being done through the outsourcing ecosystem, these are generally jobs that are very repetitive in work. Like, okay. build a web page build a database build a front end ui write a mobile app so just examples in tech then you have examples in the call center where you can have uh, tech support where you can have uh, customer assistance multiple things that are done through outsourcing if you look at the nature of a lot of these jobs technically these are repetitive and somewhere ai does have the potential to replace these but again i think this statement actually highlights a very good problem where <coughs> sorry so see people talk about ai taking up jobs people talk about losing jobs to ai honestly i think that's a case to a certain extent but we are not looking at a larger picture if you look at agriculture for example uh, let's say the way it was done in let's say the 1900s okay 1910 1920s you had people that manually had tools in their hand they were plowing the land they were putting in the seeds like putting in the fertilizers doing all of your steps i'm not a farming expert but doing all of your steps by hand mm-hmm. and then they could see okay after a few months okay this is my produce this is this is where the crop is now during that time when the modern tractor was invented by lamborghini a similar argument was made that okay a lot of people are going to lose jobs because of the advent of tractors now this is a big problem because once you had tractors you had new jobs that could come up Uh, right. for instance the servicing of these tractors for example manufacturing for example recycling utilities of these tractors once you had the added boost or the added productivity from these tractors you had new jobs again that were coming up even in agriculture okay maybe the job of actually plowing the field by a human was over but still you had 10 times the produce that now you have to move from one place to another right so when it says a lot of jobs will be gone i think that's a misrepresentation a lot of jobs will be replaced by ai maybe you're not into writing code directly now you're into database sanita- sanitation so maybe you're cleaning data sets maybe you're labeling data sets so the job will just change 
folks will become more productive but i don't think losing jobs is a correct statement so for me this is again a big fuss yeah i would agree all right moving on to the next one so again uh, see we have meta who is building a new version of its metaverse as a vr platform uh, because again the existing version is struggling to grow so again in general i just uh, david i want your opinion on this full idea of the metaverse where it is headed and investing in a new version altogether yeah i mean <laughs> i have probably a hot take on this one i find it very difficult to believe that people really are going to want to participate in um in live meetings in like a VR headset i just me personally i don't want to do that i would rather just it's uncomfortable you know maybe you know i haven't tried the new apple glasses i'm sure they're more comfortable than the oculus headset i think that was one of the things that they said that they were there it was important to them maybe you know as these as as the um the, the tools that we use to interface with something like this are improving it becomes a little less you know uh physically uncomfortable to have something on your face for you know think about you're in a four hour business meeting <laughs> you gotta stay in the goggles the whole time you're gonna you're gonna be dizzy when you take that take those things off i don't know i you know they the amount of money that is going into to i met as a great example of their vr platform is is insane billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars because they really are are like making this case that it's going to be such a useful business tool covid started everybody had to work from home all of a sudden you've got it it's challenging to you know get everybody on a on a video a voice conferencing call a video conferencing call excuse me and and run teams that way and and and, and try to keep up with uh, you know the level of productivity that you had when everybody was in the office working together <laughs> and and i i guess what the pitch is is that this this is their their answer to that it's like well you don't have to be really in the room you can be in a virtual room and you can still have the same uh level of uh cooperative um you know productivity maybe 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 eventually we will become so used to it it's like you know if if we if we train ourselves to use this technology all the time to the point that we forget that there is even another option available maybe we won't miss it and maybe we'll say yeah why wouldn't we do it this way we love doing it this way so what only way we've ever done it but i think especially you know you think about like business leaders at least at least for right now we're still we're still we still have a lot of like the boomer crowd that's in there and like yes, you know yes. i don't know you know ask your dad do they how he would feel about sitting in a 4 hour business me in a, in a in an oculus headset he's gonna say heck no i'm not doing that i don't want to do that i don't care how much money they're paying me i mean i just i just think that there's such a, a psychological barrier that they're gonna have to break through it'll happen eventually i think over time you know kids love this stuff i love it i mean i mean i i love playing with the vr headset don't get me wrong like it's it's the coolest thing ever but in terms of do i want to spend every single work day eight hours a day in it doing meetings and doing my all my whole entire job in there. I don't know. I think maybe 20 30 minutes at a time is about as much as I can handle. <laughs> okay. So is this a fizz or a fuzz? I would say fuzz. I mean it's it's still it's still it's still a little fuzzy to me. I think that eventually this will become more more fizz, but at this stage it still feels fuzzy to me. All right. Um I think I have a similar view to this uh 
so see this is just like a very simple use case of quantum computers okay where it's a similar example where the hardware has to do a lot of catch up versus the software so again i understand why investing in software makes sense there are still a lot of glitches in the metaverse os which i have used uh, of oculus so but still if you look at it over time making it some investment in the software does make a lot of sense because what else can you do until the hardware catches up and when i mean hardware catching up is where that the technology from having big bulky vr headset comes down to a very sleek glass where okay you can just wear it and you can it's not there when you don't want it but it's there when you want it right see that's the case of every tech product uh, so if you look at your phone it's there when you want it it's very powerful but when you don't want it it's like the smallest piece so vr has to get into that realm before i think we see mass adoption so for me if the software part is concerned i think this is a phase where we do need to invest a little bit in building good software for metaverse agreed All that right. part of it On that part of it one. is legit so, oh sorry i was to say that that's a good point you know if this it's not bad to be working on the software there it the engine you know the the hardware engineering has to catch up in the meantime to make the software as good as possible so that when the hardware does catch up it'll be a little a little less painful to uh for uh adoption absolutely okay so next up we have a lot of major generative ai players that have joined hands to create something called as the frontier model forum so this is used for self regulation to make sure ai is not getting out of control again see the whole point of having this into fizz versus fuzz section was that is something like this even useful would it even create any difference <laughs> Awesome. What's your take? Uh, you know, I I think I sent you this uh, before we started talking. There, yeah. the Biden Harris admin has just put together a um, like a, a panel of some leading some you know executives from I think it was like Amazon, Anthropic, Google, uh, Meta, uh, Microsoft, OpenAI, Inflection, and they have the you know have built this little coalition where they have. Um, all given voluntary commitments to say that we're going to help AI move towards safe, secure and transparent uh help help move towards safe, secure and develop uh transparent development of AI technology. So what does that even mean? Like it's great. Like great you guys a bunch of <laughs> AI CEOs had a nice little white house meeting, all high five and yeah, we're so great. Oh, look at us go. We're, you know, <laughs> you know, leading the industry and yeah. we're going to we're going to pioneer. But at the end of the day does it even mean anything do you know is there is there even a way to do that okay we're going to develop ai responsibly okay first of all first of all are you though <laughs> you, you know it so. <laughs> doesn't really seem like it uh it's one of those things like yeah it's really great to declare that you're going to do that but you guys are already like many years down the rabbit hole of <laughs> working on these systems and it's like well so so what and then that's another thing is like well you it's great that you guys made this commitment like So before before you made this commitment what were you doing like <laughs> Exactly. So it was pretty late in the game to be like, "Oh, I guess we should I guess we should develop these technologies responsibly since everybody's like freaking out about it right now." Yeah, that's really convenient and that looks really nice and a little PR uh, you know, really uh little statement released from the White House. Beautiful. Love it. But <laughs> is there any meat there? I don't know. This is feeling a little fuzzy to me. 
uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, see, uh, again, coming from my perspective where I do AI day and, uh, day and night. So see, again, I see some sense around why this might be the case. Okay. A bunch of AI companies coming together, joining hands. Again, when we talk about self-regulation, it comes under the category of a soft commitment. And honestly, that's uh, just another name for BS. So <laughs> no one takes soft commitment seriously. Okay, I promise to regulate my AI. But unless, see jokes apart, unless there is a commercial incentive or an economic incentive to actually regulate your AI, it's not going to happen. Unless, and what I mean by economic incentive, so I, I've built an AI model that is based on copyrighted data, for example. Okay, now, unless I have a rule that will ban me from doing something like this, I'm not going to stop doing it. Because if by doing that, I can create good quality model, heck yeah, I'm loving this. Right, you're gonna outcompete so, your competitors. That's... Yes, so I do get the point in again doing this, but it's again a very classic case of, um, you know, cure coming before than prevention. So <laughs> right. you don't focus on building good quality AI, but you focus on again having a self-regulation framework but again i see where this is going so this again goes into the fizz category for me because if you have such a coalition see any standards or any uh, you know constants that are present in the world have sometimes come out of the industrial space so i think this is the first stepping stone towards having a government regulatory framework so this is a first for me so cool. The next one is a very interesting take. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but we have something called as new Makulu Linux. Okay. Now new Makulu Linux is an operating system that is using, it's again, a GNOME based operating system, just like Ubuntu, Fedora, any Linux distribution. This operating system is aiming at getting AI in your operating system level. So anything you do is dominated by AI. For me, this is a big, big, big fuzz because I can't remember the number of times I have to get into file explorer, get into the correct folder, get into the exact place where I want. So it's like, see, right now in this routine, uh, if I'm doing video editing, so I import all of my files, then based on those files, I do some processing, then I export those files, then I copy those files to some other place. Once I have AI that can actually, okay, detect my patterns, that can do prediction on what I do. Once the files are exported, it can directly open the file browser window. I could directly take the files from there. I could move it to a different section. So the, the scope for automation or the scope for actually getting things done quickly by just looking at your usage patterns, because for every user, what that user does on his device, his or her device at an operating system level is 80 to 90% repetitive. Like you don't do innovative work at an OS level. You might be doing that inside a program, but at an operating system level, you don't do anything innovative. So I think this is a big fuzz. Cheers to Makululu to get something like this. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, so I'm, I'm not as familiar with, uh, with Makulu Linux, as you are probably, I, I just kind of like uh, done a little bit of superficial reading, but I, it sounds really exciting. It sounds like this could be something that, you know, 
as it as a maturist could really could really save a lot of time um says makulu is the word for big chief in the zulu language that's interesting i'd love to okay. see i'd love to see uh you know makulu linux become the makulu of the of the linux distro world that would be so that would like be great a digital chief being into the os world <laughs> i love cool. it that's great um yeah let's see what what other um comes with eight resident desktop features uh over the air system you know it sounds it sounds like these are these are things that would be really really useful if they if they if they really do work well um reading it says uh it's called shift shift release um okay. i guess shift is there is the is there whatever the package that they that they released um it looks like the reviews are good so um i must call this one fizz i think that this is exciting and um you know if it if it really is able to kind of help with the robotic process automation for you know more tedious uh kind of back end uh tasks then it could really you know save save companies money increase productivity let developers be freed up to work on you know more pressing fe uh, feature updates and things like that so i'm call this one fizz all right so cool guys with that we have come to the end of fizz versus fuzz uh Again, this leads us to the last section in today's podcast. Uh, it's called Papers with Us. Now, see, generally, I'm sure all of us might have been at a place where you have heard about a research paper long after it was released. So, for instance, the popularity of the Bitcoin research paper was actually uh, experienced a few a decade after it was actually written. Right. So what we aim at doing here is we do the hard work of reading through the paper, going through it, analyzing, actually verifying it with code is something making sense or not. And we try to present this research paper in a very condensed format for you guys. And again, there is also an element of should you care or not about this. So all of these links would be in the show note descriptions. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you could scroll down to the description section, look at all of these links. If you're watching this on any podcasting platform, you can still scroll down to the episode notes and get those links over there. So, all right, the paper for today is universal and transferable adversarial attacks that are happening on aligned language models. So basically LLMs are being hacked by different attacks. This hacking is being done at the training stage. So again, my take on this is that uh, if you find out a way to, imp uh, to influence the training of an AI model, that can have everlasting impact. Because the whole point is training is not a one-off activity. Once you train an AI model, you basically have to live with the same thing over and over again. Because once you train something, it has a small minute degree of inaccuracy in it you keep on training it afterwards with newer data sets. So detecting the exact point, because again, this is not a binary system. So detecting, you never have a point where the system fails or when you actually have a point where the system fails, the process has begun like a few months before that point hits. Mm -hmm. So this can have huge and lasting implications. So basically an adversarial attack is where you let the text pretend something that it is not. 
So in the world of ML, you have something called as vectorization, where all words are present in a vector space. So every vector is a location. And you have words that are similar or closer together. So if you are talking about art, then you have, let's say, digital art, NFTs, paints, creativity, canvas, all of these words are similar. And when I say similar, they are located closer in the digital space. Right. So if you look at this, uh, having adversarial attacks where you have words pretending to be something else is a big problem because then you mess with the basic social construct of how these AI models are trained where you start creating misrepresentations between these words, then that leads to misrepresented probabilities and then the AI model is going to go for a toss. Now, the reason why this is so important and it made into this podcast is because for us, we need to understand that when we are relying on an AI model for let's say marketing, for content generation, for creating advertisements, for even writing company internal emails, uh, we need to understand this is not a foolproof system. Okay, so it's not a f uh, fixed binary, like a deterministic system. It is a probabilistic system. So always use AI tools with a grain of salt. And uh, again, we have the link in the show notes if you want to read further. What's your take, David? So I want to I wanna back up really quickly because I think the way that you broke down um, kind of the core concepts of how these large language models actually work was so valuable. I'm sure that there are people who are listening right now who have probably never heard that before or never really understood, you know, <laughs> how, you know, you people people think about AI and, and you know, it's like their brain just turns off and it's like, oh, yeah, I'll never understand how that works. But if you're looking at language models, like, you you know, it's like a map, right? It, it's it, you, you, you have to represent conceptually an entire language worth of, of vocabulary um, in like a relational database. So you have this like ontological kind of um, structure where, you know, I, like you said, concepts that are related, that those words will be clustered together. Uh, things that are um, unrelated would be farther apart. And that <laughs> is great, but like you said, um, it can be taken advantage of when you have um, uh, pieces of when you have uh, words or, or, or uh, nodes that are misrepresenting themselves. And so uh, I think what the paper called it is um, it would be used to uh, produce objectionable content. And so that's that's what which is of course, which is what they want to avoid. And why do they want to avoid it? Because their legal team is like, oh, my God, we're going to get sued if you say the wrong thing. Don't say anything objectionable. I think everybody can relate to it. it's 2023. You got to watch what you say. So uh, the, the same is, is true for AI model, <laughs> okay? Um, and and you know, it it doesn't just stop at you know getting canceled though. This this is this is a case where like like we said earlier, these tools can can be used to totally fabricate you know research papers, databases, and things that are are you know that for for many years have been you know just you could just accept on face value. You're reading like you know published lit literature, the published research journals, you, you know, up until a few years ago, you would have never had to say, wait, is, is this a real article or is this an AI generated fake that yes, is just total, true. total, to you know, totally, fab totally, uh, you know, pulled out of thin air 
and and even if you know no amount of checking all the uh, the reference papers is going to solve that because they can all they can be they can be the same thing that's just all the way down. So <laughs> this this I, I really like the way that you explain that, and I, I I know I didn't really answer the question there, but um, I just wanted to to make sure and and give you some praise for breaking that down, and I think that that is. Um, you know, super valuable, hopefully, to, to listeners who are trying to understand what's going on with these uh, large language models. I think that that, you know, hopefully will give people a, a better way to conceptualize what is actually happening, um, be, like inside the black box of these systems. Um, you know, people, people are going to try to jailbreak them, people are going to try to tune them, knock them out of tune to uh, be unaligned and be generating objectionable content. I think that's like, deeply, <laughs> deep, deep, deeply ingrained within the traditions of, of the internet. But, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully the, these companies are able to, you know, keep their products, their chat GPTs and bards and, and llama twos, uh, from, <laughs> from falling prey to, uh, to attacks like that. Absolutely. And again, the, the worst part is once you have a model module that can control an AI to behave the way you want. It's really the, it's a next level of hacking when like, once you have this, then you can create misinformation. Once you have misinformation, you could literally control populations on populations of folks. You could influence decision-making of a vast number of people. Uh, so it's just crazy. That's coming. It's coming. It's yeah, coming. It's coming. <laughs> cool. So, guys, that's it. Uh, that's all we had for today. Uh, again, uh, thank you so much for taking out the time. We would love to hear from you. There would also be a small feedback form in the show notes of this episode. So, we would love to hear from you as this is our first episode. Generally, we plan on having this content in two separate formats. The first one is where both of us are just chatting about different things, this kind of episode, which you heard about today. Then the next one would be an interview where we have uh, someone who is trying to make a dent in the tech space and just see what uh, their views are on similar topics. So we are very excited to be reaching out to you. Again, we are happy that both of us have a platform to talk, discuss tech. And this is what we love doing. So. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. I, I would just uh, reiterate everything Vinay said. If you have feedback, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And we'd love to um, make our content better suited to you. So let us know. Thank you, guys. Cool. So now do we roll out the outro music? <laughs>